Thank you. Let's stand open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning. 2 Corinthians 1, we'll read verse 12. The Bible says, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we've had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly to you work. Before we get into our text this morning, let me give you a little bit of context. The Apostle Paul had started this church at Corinth. We know it is one of the most carnal churches that he had planted. And uh, he had written several letters. Now, we have recorded for us the first and second, what we call the epistles to the Corinthians. Uh, But there was at least one other letter, possibly two, that he had sent to them And they were very severe. I have started churches, and one of the greatest pains uh, that I could imagine in the ministry is watching a church that you plant go off the rails and allow carnality. And we we see so many of the things that were addressed in the first book of Corinthians. We don't know exactly what was addressed in the letter that's not considered canon or scripture. But Paul expresses here that it was with great sorrow and heaviness of heart that he had written these letters. And then he gives inference of another trip that's not mentioned in the book of Acts uh, there to the church at Corinth to help correct uh, some of these problems, confront some of these issues. And uh, there were uh, false prophets that had gone in and and not only misled this church, uh, but that also attacked the character of Paul, the apostleship of Paul. And uh, to, to me, to watch your church go off track, that would, that would cause extreme grief and spiritual pain. But then to be attacked by the very people that you led to the Lord, your children in the faith, and to have watched them grow and develop in this church grow, and then to have some man come in uh, to the work that you had started and, and to create this kind of tense environment, and obviously... Uh, Paul's, he's looking at their, their ideas concerning him, their reception of him, and he's grieved by what has taken place and what he is planning to do. He's told them, I, I plan to come and see you now. His plans were interrupted. He is explaining that to the church. And how many of you have ever had your plans interrupted? You, you said you were going to do something. You had all the intention in the world of doing it. And circumstances in your day or your week or your month just didn't allow you to do that. You had to alter your plans. Does that make you a bad person? Now, we know Paul was not lazy. He was not dishonest. These were not his intentions. But really what we see in 2 Corinthians, he goes over verse 8 and 9, which we mentioned last week, uh, that he was near death, pressed out of measure, above strength. He literally had the sense of death in himself, but he had faced all of these things and he's carrying the weight of not knowing how the church at Corinth has responded to this latest letter. He sends Titus and he can't locate Titus. Remember once again, this, isn't the, this was not the day and age of cell phones or texting or email and uh, he, he could not find him. So he's bouncing around from place to place and, and city to city, but Here's what I want you to notice in verse 12, and we're going to make this at least a two or three part message here, but he says, in response to the attacks, and when we look at Paul's character, now let me ask you this, 
2,000 years later, after all this had taken place, who do we respect and hold in high regard? The church of Corinth or Paul? Truth always reveals itself over time. Be careful because a lot of times we want to defend our character. We want to stand up and say that's a false accusation. That's a misnomer. People are throwing mud on my character. Allow God to defend you. Most of the time you only do yourself more harm than good through self-defense. But here's what we see in the Apostle Paul. He says, for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity, there's so much here in this verse, Simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world. Now, here's what I want you to consider is we're all living in the world. Many Christians uh, do not come out as unscathed by the world or unaffected by the world as Paul did. Well, you can look at scripture, uh, Demas Lot would be probably the, the primary example of someone totally devastated by the world, and the question today is, how is your conversation in the world? Now, there's no way even me as a preacher of the gospel, my, uh, basically my weekly schedule involves coming to the church, and if I'm not at the church, I'm making visits, I'm with people, or you're normally with Christians, or witnessing to someone that's lost, and then in the evening between Spanish church and English church, my week is consumed with and surrounded by the people of God, the Word of God, in an atmosphere filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So it'd be easier for me to be more unscathed. For for those of you, you don't have the same privilege. You go out into a world, a vile world, from the morning, early morning hours, surrounded by people that are godless, uh, more than godless, God-haters, unbiblical, and uh, against everything that is biblical, and you've got to survive in that. So the question is this morning, how do I survive? How do I help my family survive? And I want you to look at some of the things mentioned by Paul. Uh, he, he, he talks about we rejoice in this, the testimony of our conscience. We're going to preach on that this morning. But he mentions the simplicity and godly sincerity, and it would help us all survive this world if we'd get back to basic Christian simplicity. Amen. Stop overcomplicating things. Simplicity in our witness, simplicity in our character, not duplicity. Too many have become like the world, and instead of simplicity, there's duplicity because when they're in the world, they'll act like the world. When they're in the church, they'll act like the church. Paul had no duplicity at all, but simplicity and godly sincerity. Not, not with fleshly wisdom. Folks, we can't do this. And too many Christians are trying to accomplish in balancing the world, their, their responsibilities in the world, and their Christian duties with fleshly wisdom that will always lead you astray. In order to do this, you need the grace of God. But he said, we have had our conversation. And here's what he said. We can look back at Paul's conversation in the world and say it was impeccable. How was it accomplished? And I want you to look at some key characteristics that are highlighted in this verse. But the first one is, he said, the testimony of our conscience. Church, this is one of those subjects I think preachers fail to preach on enough. The importance of a clear and clean conscience and 
the longer I live and the longer I minister, the more I'm concerned by parents that are not only not helping their children establish an active conscience, but actually through permissive parenting, destroying that God-given gift of a conscience. Instead of developing that, parents, I've watched, if we're not careful, as we age, the trampling of the conscience. I, I can't believe what Christians can do today in good conscience. The things they can say, the things they can watch, the people they can spend time with in a good conscience. Now, go with me to Acts 24, verse 16. Paul lived his life seeking to maintain a good, clear, clean, active conscience. And we'll explain how this is all intertwined with the Spirit of God. Don't ever mistake your conscience for the Spirit of God, but the Spirit of God uses the conscience. Here's what he says, Acts 24, 16. Herein do I exercise myself. How many of you have ever purposed to exercise? You established an exercise plan. You invested in an exercise bike or exercise equipment. And you said every day for 35 minutes a day, for 45 minutes a day, I'm going to do this. You... Uh, bought a gym membership and you lost up to $35 a month. (laughs) Amen? That's the only thing you lost. Pounds was not included in that. But you had good intentions. The problem with exercise is it's work. It's hard work. It takes determination. And to exercise your conscience to keep it clean is also hard work. He said, I do exercise myself to have always a conscience, what? Void of offense toward God and toward man. Now, we know that a conscience is the inner man that you've heard hundreds of times, thousands of times in your lifetime. It's the moral compass of the soul that tells you what is morally right, morally wrong, and then provides you with guilt if you choose to do the wrong. Now, some of you would have to go way back because of the trampling of your conscience, way back to your childhood to actually remember when you felt bad because you disobeyed your conscience. It's the stoplight system uh, uh, of the inner man at every intersection of life where God has given you that that, that voice that says, this is a red light, don't, don't go through here. There's danger if you advance. A yellow light, proceed with conscience. A green light, uh, for, for those of you that are not getting what I'm trying to explain, let me stoop to your level for just a moment. I remember Pinocchio. Yeah. Right? You read the book or some of you watched the, the movie. Geppetto is he creates this little wooden doll that comes to life, but wood does not have a soul nor a conscience. So what happened? He was given a little cricket named Jiminy. And Jiminy Cricket was supposed to keep Pinocchio in line. Did Jiminy Cricket manage to be successful in his attempts? 
No, and he got into more trouble and told more lies. They became as plain as the nose on his face because his nose began to grow. And Jiminy Cricket had failed in keeping little Pinocchio morally aligned. But God gave you something greater than Jiminy Cricket. Amen? Inside that inner voice, uh, that umpire that tells you what is out of bounds, what is inbound, what is permissible. Go with me to, to Romans for just a moment. What a gift. Consider this for a moment, how wicked this world would be if God had not given to every man a conscience. Because not every man has seen a Bible. And not every man has grown up in a, a religion that preaches morality. Look what it says in Romans 2 verse 14. When the Gentiles, which have not the law... Do by the nature, look at this, how does this happen? He's speaking of Gentile nations, not, not a Jew, not the people of God that were given the law of God, but the Gentiles, absent of the word of God, the church of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and the law of God, what's it say? They have not the law, but they do by nature the things contained in the law. These having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of what? The law, what? written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts. The meanwhile, accusing, now here's what the conscience does. It either accuses or excuses you. Now, here's what we have to understand about the conscience. The conscience for every man is unique to that person. The conscience in man begins to grow at two or three. You've seen little children and they feel bad because they've done the wrong, the wrong thing. And they, not that parents have told them everything to do or not to do. But why does a child naturally get sneaky? Because in his heart, he knows that is wrong and this is right. That's God doing us all a favor, giving us a great friend in our childhood. A voice, an inner man that says there are things that are morally correct and morally incorrect. The only problem with the conscience is that conscience is developed by the voices of that person in their childhood, parents, religious instructors, teachers, TV, friendships. The other day, we were at street corner and there was a group of us waiting to cross. There was an elderly couple obviously that was going to struggle to cross this busy intersection and we hit the little button that I've told my wife millions of times is without purpose. It's going to do not, it's just for the impatient to feel good that they have something to push besides their husband. <laughs> but that button was pushed and like I told her nothing happened and several cycles of lights took place without providing us the signal to cross. So I became impatient, and I, so was the elderly couple, and I said, I'll cross with you. No cars were coming. And when we began to cross, the group on the corner all crossed together with the red light flashing instead of the little man given the green light to walk. One lady stood on the corner refusing to cross, and here's what she said. I can't do it. My conscience won't allow me. I wanted to turn and say, you're an idiot. (laughs) 
because there's no trial. You'll stand there for the next three days. At some point, your conscience is going to allow you to cross the street. But logic tells you if there are no cars coming, it's a good moment to go ahead and cross. But you know what that was a result of? Some mother had taken her to an intersection and said, you don't ever cross the street until you're given the signal to cross. And that was established. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's in the inner man. Now, here's the problem with the conscience. That conscience is developed by teachers. So every man feels differently about what they can do or cannot do. I'm thankful for the conscience developed by my parents early in my youth because I was a mischievous person who got into plenty of trouble, but I would have gotten into much more trouble were there not times when I was going to follow the crowd and do something I should not do, and that the voice inside said, Adam, don't do that. Besides the inner voice, there was also the thought of being slain slowly by my parents, (laughs) tortured to death before being put in the grave. But... All of that helped the inner voice be a louder voice. Amen. But we all have a conscience. The problem is it's defective by nature because there are some that have grown up in homes where they watch the parents literally do drugs in the home. And so for that child, a life of doing drugs is normal because his conscience has been defiled, not properly developed. Although God gave us a gift and he's given us a moral compass in our inner man to help us avoid sin, when that conscience is repeatedly ignored or repeatedly trampled, obviously becomes defective, but greater a greater issue than that is how developed is your conscience in life and I watch some people. Here's the problem. If you grow up in a a household without the Bible, you got saved at a later age. The Holy Spirit works often by way of a conscience. So your conscience has been deactivated or defiled or deadened or or trampled. And then you become a Christian and, and your eyes are open. The Holy Spirit gets involved and you come to services. You begin to realize there are things in my life that I must change in order to please God, in order to honor God. And you've got to make a choice. And if you do not grow in your knowledge of the word of God, you will not develop your conscience. You can maintain, you say, I don't understand how they claim to be a Christian and they do that. The Bible reveals that Lot was a just man. If you read about Lot, there's nothing in my mind that would make him just outside of the righteousness of God. A filthy man with a filthy home. We're going to speak tonight about how the world spoils us. How how did... uh, Paul walked unscathed, unspoiled, and Lot was totally defiled. Well, part of that is Paul's conscience was developed through a knowledge of the Word of God, and Lot's conscience was totally undeveloped and trampled, and with time, totally defiled. So, I thank God for the gift. But just because everyone has the gift of conscience doesn't mean everyone has the right kind of moral compass 
or the right kind of developed and active conscience working in their life. And here's what I want to ask you this morning. Are you helping your children because they were born with that gift? But you as a parent can either be developing that conscience to keep them, to keep them from evil. Uh, there are kids now whose regular daily life includes the consumption of pornography because they have deadened their conscience, defiled their... The, the first time they saw that, there was that inner voice that said, don't. And then with time and repeated practice, they defiled their conscience. There are some that the first time they took a pencil or a dollar from their dad's desk, the conscience said, that's wrong, don't do that. But as they, as they trampled their conscience, as they ignored it, now, here's what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to understand that God gives us solutions. So, he provides us a solution of conscience. The unsaved nature tramples the conscience. And so, as we get saved and we get in the house of God, we look at our conscience and what, what's the first thing we admit? I, I did that in good conscience. I used to get drunk in good conscience. There, I've met people who've, who've overdosed, and, and, and for them, not one time did their conscience impede them from doing what they were doing. Fornication, repeated marriages, abuse, whatever it is, they literally did that with a smile on their face. Because not only was that never developed, but that moral compass that existed that distinguished between right and wrong was repeatedly trampled. Now, here's what Paul said in, in that verse we read earlier. He said, I do what? Exercise myself to, to, to keep, to maintain, to develop a conscience that is void of offense towards God and towards man. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews 5, parents, kids, listen, I'm, I'm trying to help you this morning because some of you are on the verge of hurting yourself for the rest of your life because you're this close to eliminating a gift that God gave you, trampling beyond repair. Now look what it says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. For... For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need the one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. He said, you've been saved long enough, you ought to know, but what you should know, you don't know. Now your knowledge is the basis of your conscience. So, it doesn't matter that you've been in church for five years or ten years. If, if you've not been faithful Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, your conscience has not been properly developed. You say, well, I come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I, I, I ought to have a strong conscience. You ought to, but if you're not in God's word every day, you're not continuing the development of your conscience. Everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Look what it says, verse 14. But strong meat belong to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have what? 
have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Too many have never exercised their senses, developed their conscience to be able to discern that is good, that is evil. It literally is a pastor because I mingle with my members or incoming people every single week. There is never a single week of my ministry that I've not been at some point shocked or surprised by the behavior or the actions or the words of another Christian that ought to know better but does not know better and participates in behavior that would be displeasing to God because there is a lack of knowledge of the Word of God. We were just talking with my family this week, listening to kids in the church and what they will say in casual conversation now makes adults blush because there was a day when our parents said, you don't talk like that, you don't speak of those things, you don't use slang, you don't use that verbiage, you don't participate in those conversations. But now children are not being told by parents because parents are participating or they brought in a teacher who has told them every day that that language is permissible, that that teacher only has two initials, first initial TV, last initial T, last initial V, and that TV teacher has ingrained in them. Those words are acceptable in normal conversation. So they're... Senses have not been activated. Their conscience has not been developed by the word of God. Now, go with me to John chapter 8. A healthy conscience just doesn't have to study and and grow in knowledge of the word, but it has to be submitted or it it has no effect. An immediate response, I'm going to learn the word, hear the word, study the word, respond in obedience to the word, to the spirit of God. Now, here's here's what I want you to see. So, all of us have a conscience, a gift of God. That doesn't mean it's been developed. And here's what God does. He activates the conscience in a lost man through the Word of God. Because the Spirit of God always uses the Word of God. Don't confuse the Spirit of God and the conscience. The unsaved man primarily deals with the conscience. He walks into a church and now the Spirit of God, by way of the Word of God, will work through his conscience. But out there in the world, it's just his conscience. The Spirit of God always works by way of the Word of God. Now let's see here three examples of lost men that have defiled their conscience. John chapter 8, verse 9. Verse 8, start verse 8. Again he, Christ, stooped down, wrote on the ground... They which heard it, being convicted, how? By their own conscience, went out one by one. Now, remember the context here. So these men, vile Pharisees, had had caught a woman in the actual act of adultery. They drug her out. Now, you have no conscience when you participate in this kind of behavior. Why would you even participate in this madness? 
That means you were looking for the scene. You were trying to create a scene. And they, they consider themselves spiritual in creating this madness. So the people participating in this have no conscience at all. They're trying to appear. And here's what happens for a world out there that has trampled their conscience. They have to create new morality. And their new morality, because they hate God, is apart from God, which means their morality has to be anti-biblical. There's, there's only two sides here, church. There's light and darkness. There's biblical and anti-biblical. So if you've chosen the atheistic viewpoint of life, you have to be anti-God and anti-biblical, but you still have to feel good about yourself. So you have to create a new morality outside of the Bible that is totally anti-biblical. So your morality is, I am... For mother's rights. That's my morality, which means I can kill babies in good conscience. I am morally, I'm a baby killer, but I'm morally superior to you. Because I have created a new morality. Do you understand what happens to the conscience? So you deaden everything good that God gave you. You destroy the gift. And instead of allowing God's word to develop a healthy conscience, you have to create new morality based on the elimination of God's word and God's morality. That's where these men. So let me ask you this. How in the world, how in the world could they ever be pricked in their own conscience? Do you, do you understand the group that this, these people fall in? So far from God. They're trying to trap the Lord Jesus Christ. Their whole purpose is vile. But here they come. So how are they pricked in their own conscience, being convicted? They went out one by one. Now, what did Christ write in that saying? None of us have any idea. Most would suppose that he might have written the Ten Commandments. But I believe no matter what he wrote, it was the Word of God because he was God in the flesh. So the only way to activate their defiled conscience was by way of what? The word of God through the spirit of God. So a lost world out there who has had their conscience defiled, dead, and seared, the only way at all to prick their conscience is by way of the word of God and the spirit of God. Don't think your worldly wisdom is going to prick their conscience. You've got to get the Word of God backed by the Spirit of God to bring any conviction at all. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2 verse 37. Once again, a religious crowd coming together for the Feast of Pentecost here in Jerusalem. Peter preaches very directly. Verse 37, when they heard this, these people who had literally deadened their conscience... Through the acceptance of religion, religion had built their conscience, not God or his word. They were what? Pricked in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, this is the starting point for someone who's trampled their conscience. Now you bring God's word in to prick their conscience to bring them to salvation and uh, then have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God where you can feed them the word of God, rebuild a dead or trampled or defiled or destroyed conscience. Because 
here's what's going to happen. Your excuse is a Christian for becoming like the world. You're not going to stand before God and say, God, you know, I got saved at 36 and my conscience was already deadened. He's going to say, I gave you the word of God to redevelop your conscience. So the Holy Spirit by way of the word of God. Now, how many of you have ever been convicted of doing something that wasn't found in the word of God? You know what that was? That was a mother, an aunt, or someone else to put in your mind. It could be something about table manners. That's not God telling you not to do that. <laughs> That's your conscience developed by your great aunt that said you never, ever hold your fork like that. You always put the knife on this side of the plate. So when you go up, someone else sits at the table to put the knife on the wrong side of the plate. You move it because your conscience tells you, move it. That could defile the whole meal. Your conscience will tell you all kinds of things. Don't ever equate your conscience as the superior moral compass. The superior moral compass is the word of God. So if you're... If you have not been saturated with the word of God, your moral compass is not pointing north, south, east, or west. It's spinning whatever direction your moral teacher has set your moral compass. This is so important because here's what we're doing. We're not developing the conscience in our kids, whether extra biblical or but there are things that are extra biblical, I still want incorporated in the life of my kids. I want, I want my son, when a woman is coming in Austin, Texas, if a man goes to open the door, the woman looks at him like, who are you to open my door? Is it illegal to be a gentleman in 2021? There is not a Bible verse for that. But I want that to be deeply imprinted upon the conscience of my son. But that doesn't make him a moral person. Biblically moral. Biblical morality is based on the word of God. And so I want to make sure I'm developing his conscience. There are things you do. There are things you don't do. I've taught my kids. You sit in the front of the auditorium. Is there a Bible verse for that? How many ever sat in the back of the auditorium? How hard is that to focus? That's impossible. Now, is there, is that make someone biblically less moral or more moral based on their seating in the auditorium? Not at all. But I want to establish in his conscience that it is nearly sin for my kids to sit outside the first few rows because it's just more difficult to concentrate because you from the back see all the movement. You from the front see almost no movement. It's a whole lot easier to focus. But that's not scriptural. Scriptural is not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Amen. Here's what I want in my kids. I want it to be a bigger deal, not where they sit in the auditorium, but a bigger deal. If they are to miss a service, I want them to feel miserable. If they're not in the hospital, if, if there's not something tragic that has just happened, I want them to feel miserable because the word of God has developed their moral compass and the spirit of God is active through the word of God. Amen. Tell them. Otherwise, our conversation in the world, here's what we're watching. Paul could say, I rejoice in the fact that the testimony of my conscience bears witness that I have not been, my conversation in the world has not been affected by the world. I've not become what the world is because I have a conscience that I have exercised and it's void of offense towards God 
in this generation of young people have not been trained in the word of God and they literally, in good conscience, can do every evil under the sun because parents have not trained their conscience to stay active and train them to stay sensitive and say, you, you know how you keep that conscience developed? You acknowledge your sin, you confess your wrongdoing daily or you're hardening your conscience. Let's quickly see how that happens. Say, Pastor, you're making me nervous. You may go long today. I promise you I'm going to stop exactly when I finish. That's, that's my only promise this morning. Titus chapter 1, Titus 1 verse 15. Titus 1 15, under the pure, all things are pure. Isn't it amazing now how someone can make a statement and young people immediately can make this into a dirty connotation? I've, I've never known of another moment in life where it felt like I had to be so careful about the wording because people's minds are so impure, they immediately take it to a place that is impure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. Why? Even their what? Their mind and their conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Why can they be to every good work reprobate? Because they have defiled, repeatedly defiled their conscience. Conscience is like a window. The more dirt on that window, the less light comes through. In a Christian life, the more dirt on that light, the less light comes through in guiding them. And our young people, young people, you have a conscience. You have a church, you have a Bible, you have a Holy Spirit, you have the Word of God. You have everything in life to keep yourself unspotted from the world. That doesn't mean you're going to accomplish that. If you allow your conscience to actually speak and you slap it down, it warns and you disobey. You see the red light and you keep on going. You hear the voice of the umpire and you say, I think it's still inbounds no matter what you tell me is out of bounds. The more you fail to heed your conscience, the less guilt you feel until you can utterly and permanently defile your conscience and become reprobate in every good work. We've all seen it happen. The problem is examples are too close to home. People that have gotten saved and grown up in church, familiar with the Word of God. But they begin to do things on the slide to the point where they begin to feel comfortable in their wickedness. And you totally, it's like taking a computer and you rewire it. You reprogram it. And that's what happens in the heart of a person that begins to defile their conscience. Now, go to 1 Corinthians 8 for just a minute. Christians, parents, don't, don't, don't ever do anything that would hurt the conscience of your child. I know parents to put on a movie and hurt the conscience. They, they actually went through a series of events over the course of years where they defiled the conscience of that child. Music, movies, internet, language, a new convert, listen, 
respect the conscience of the next person, whether or not you share the same thoughts. Look what it says in verse 7. How about there's not in every man that knowledge for some with conscience of the, of the idol unto this hour. Eat is a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Now, we know uh, back during the time that Paul is writing this, a big issue in the church was whether or not to eat food, especially meat, that had been offered to idols. Now, we know that meat offered to an idol, it does not make the meat contaminated. What if a family was extremely poor? Here's all this food being offered to idols, and they could go up and say, this is our only chance to feed our family. We're going to grab some of this food and eat it before it goes to waste. Now, there were people that couldn't do it in clear conscience. They said, if it's been offered to an idol, it's contaminated. So here was Paul's point. If you are hungry and you can eat that food and it doesn't bother your conscience, don't invite someone over who has a weaker conscience that says that's defiled food. And in the middle of the meal, you say, oh, by the way, we went over to the temple and we picked up this food that was there on the altar and they're going to choke on the food and leave defiled. Now, for us, it doesn't make much sense because we're not living in this day. I remember in Mexico, the Day of the Dead, and uh, people would bring uh, food and leave it there in the cemetery. There was amazing food from tamales to tacos to fruit and vegetables. But I was never tempted to go home with any of that. <laughs> I'd rather go to the market. There was no temptation. So it's not like the American mind can wrap itself around the concept of what these Christians were living. But Paul obviously thought this is, this is something that has to be addressed because what we have in the church is people with a weaker conscience being affected because someone with a stronger conscience is over there saying, Mike, what's the problem? You're not going to eat this meat just because we picked it up at the cemetery? You're hurting your brother in helping him defile his conscience. Be careful, Christians, because here's what we've done. Instead of encouraging others to submit and obey their conscience, we actually can take those that are weaker, especially those that are younger. I know grown men that are fuss over a pastor. I can listen to Elvis Presley, and it doesn't affect me. I just listen to him sing Amazing Grace. I doubt you only listen to him sing Amazing Grace. But if you're some kind of superior Christian and you can listen to that devilish man the diet of an overdose. You can listen to him sing Christian hymn and it doesn't affect you. I promise you, you're hurting the conscience of your child and you're going to lead him into music that will totally defile his conscience. You don't take someone that is weaker and you say it doesn't bother me. It doesn't matter if it doesn't bother you. If you're hurting or defiling another man's conscience, you should say that is off limits. Verse 8. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat or are we better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours, what? Become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge, sit at meat at the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him that is weak be what? Emboldened. You're leading him to defile his conscience when we're supposed to lead others to strengthen their conscience. Now go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. When you go down this path, eventually you're going to destroy your conscience. This is where the world's at. You have deadened it. You've, the Bible says seared. That conscience is seared. 
chapter 4, 1 Timothy 4, 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having what? Their conscience. He said there are prophets out there. They stand in church with a suit and tie. They open the word of God and they lie. They say one thing and do something totally opposite. We've seen that repeatedly in so-called Christianity. How do they do that? How do they stand in the pulpit and say one thing? That the preacher that I heard preach in Dallas, really that, that I'd consider the night that I surrendered to preach, months later was revealed that he was living in adultery. And there he stood before thousands of people and preached as if he was living a holy, godly life. How, how does that happen? You can only do that with a seared conscience. You've, you have so defiled it, now you've destroyed it. How, how many of you have ever had a surgery? So, uh, they have lasers and surgical knives, and here's the only reason you have the surgery is because when you go in, they, they speak of this comforting word called anesthesia. Right? Can you imagine if they said, uh, oh, by the way, we can't give you anesthesia, but we're going to uh, take a knife and cut through the layers of flesh and remove that tumor, or we're going to uh, do this or give you a new knee, but uh, we, we're going to give you a piece of wood to bite on during the process. <laughs> you say, I'm out. I think I'll deal with a messed up knee. Uh, I don't need a new shoulder. Forget the tumor. I'll just let it grow. Right? Because you don't want to feel anything. Now, you have a world out there that doesn't want to feel anything. You know why they don't want a Christian in their life? You don't have to preach. Because they've deadened their conscience, they don't want you to be their conscience. I, don't want, I want to be able to sin and not feel anything. I want to be able to race to evil. I want to be greedy to do evil. I want to live my filthy life and not have the light of the Bible, the light of the gospel, the light of a Christian, the light of the Holy Spirit shined on any of the darkness that I am committing in my life. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, 19. Who being, what's it saying? Past feeling. They've given themselves over to lasciviousness. They're greedy to do evil, to work all uncleanness with greediness. How do they get to that point? They've totally seared their conscience to the point they're past feeling. So this last surgery I had, they, they took me in, and uh, he, you know, they're, they're such liars, but they're professional liars. You lay there, and, he, and, and they say, okay, they're hooking up the IV, and here in just a little bit, we're going to give you the anesthesia, and what we'll do, try to count to 10. They give you a challenge. See if you can count to 10. What I didn't realize, they're working behind me. They've already connected it. So he said, uh, I'm going to have you just in a minute try to count to 10. And the next thing you know, I wake up and there's bright lights. They're saying, uh, uh, it's over. How do you feel? (laughs) Sleeping. (laughs) Hey, you feel any pain? At the moment, I feel (laughs) I'm floating over y'all. I feel like Muhammad Ali. I floating like a butterfly. Sting like a bee here in a minute. (laughs) Now, you know why I made it through that, and I wanted to go through that with no... I wanted them to so dope me up that I would be past feeling. And then they leave you a little button on the side of the bed, and you become a pusher. (laughs) 
So as soon as there's a little bit of feeling, what do you do? You push the button and smile. That's the world. The world says, I don't want any conscience. I want to be able to go to 6th Street. I want to fornicate. I want to commit adultery. I want to do my drugs. I want to have my lifestyle. I want to speak with a filthy mouth. And I don't want any kind of ill feeling. I don't, I don't want any kind of rebuke. I don't want anything to keep me or impede me on my path to wickedness. It's a scary place to be. Now, one last verse. We're done. Isaiah 520. You've got to understand where the world is at. God gave him this gift. It's been defiled and literally destroyed. And here's the problem. When your conscience is destroyed, then you begin to call evil good and good evil. Isaiah 520, woe unto them. God says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And why are we surprised when we look at the world and literally that continually calls light, darkness, and darkness, light. Why is it that when the state of Texas limits abortion, it puts out new measures, supposedly the morally superior steps up with great grief and vexation and says, something has to change if we can't murder babies. Why are we shocked? Because their conscience has not been defiled. It's literally been obliterated. And when your conscience is obliterated, something strange happens in the soul of a man where you begin to call evil good and good. Now, church, we're going to continue this tonight. But here's what you have to understand. Paul said, you've made all these accusations against my character. Paul lived in the world. He wasn't paid by the church. He was tent-making or preaching or reaching the lost and yet totally unscathed and undefiled. How? This is what I want my kids to be. In a world this, this wicked and vile, I want them to come out unscathed. How? The first thing is you need a conscience that is developed and active where you're listening. In church, I'll tell you in 2021, 30 years of preaching, I've never been more concerned about the conscience of the average Christian. Because through friendships, internet, TV, other influences, the lack of parental guidance, that conscience has become so faint that kids at 12 and 13 are participating in things we couldn't have imagined as young adults at the age of 20, 21, and 22. And they can still walk in a church environment and smile as if they were living godly lives. And instead of saying like Paul, in simplicity and sincerity, our kids with no conscience now would have to say, through duplicity and insincerity and a trampled, defiled conscience, I can walk in and smile and carry my Bible and look like a Christian all the while I participate on Monday and Tuesday, and things just as vile as this world participates in. So two questions this morning, Christian. Are you developing the conscience, your own and those around you? Are you helping build and strengthen that conscience? Or are you helping defile the conscience?